Law Focus Podcast. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Welcome to Law Focus, the show with the staunch focus on the law. My name is Basil Sharinda, your voice of law for the evening. On this legal bench of Law Focus this evening, we are discussing the very predicaments that hit at the heart of the pandemic of absent fathers, and that is child maintenance. By the way, Law Focus listener, the Human Sciences Research Council and the South African Race Relations Institute have conducted a study uh, for the past five years, and they found that that actually uh, about 60% of South African children have absent fathers, and mind you, 40% of South African mothers are single are single mothers. Now, that circumstance in and of itself necessitates the institution and administration of child maintenance. Today, today, tonight's mandate on law focus is underpinned by the recent passing into law of the Maintenance Amendment Act 2015. Now, the first question that one asks themselves in this instance is, what constitutes maintenance? Um, what kind of legislation do we have in place to regulate that area? And what happens to anyone who fails to pay maintenance? Now, according to legislation, a child is entitled to maintenance uh, for clothes, uh, housing, dental and medical care, education and training, to the extent that uh, whatever parent that is being impugned can afford. Now, in some instances, some parents cannot afford that far. Now, law focus listener, between me and you, we know that we are talking about fathers here because it's hardly ever the case that mothers have to pay child maintenance. So humor me, uh, let's look at the demographics of South Africa. Um, looking at 60% of fathers that are absent, chances are mothers who are, are flooding the maintenance offices um, are trying to sue these fathers to pay for child maintenance. And so this is how it works in the country. For, 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 for a maintenance officer to know how much a father can afford, to pay in maintenance. They look at how much they earn, they look at how much they spend, uh, exactly how um, an, a credit regulator would look, or maybe rather a credit giver would look at before they give you credit. And some fathers actually lie. And so the, the old legislation or the legislation that was in place before 2015, before it was amended, did not have uh, uh, regulations as to how that could be deterred. And so in 2015, uh, the Maintenance Amendment Act Number 9 of, uh, of that year was passed. And this act um, tries to curb ways, uh, and, and in essence, and which is going to, to, to mask the, the discussion for the evening, is that this Maintenance Act actually blacklists fathers who, who do not pay maintenance, who default on their maintenance, right? And so now, one of the other things that happens, uh, Low Focus listener, is that the maintenance officer can actually issue an order to the employer of the father to uh, pay in debit orders. Now, uh, please do look forward to this child maintenance discussion. Uh, later on the, on the show, we'll be speaking to, to, department, to the Department of Justice. We'll also speak to a couple of lawyers to hear their view on, uh, on the, uh, whether this legislation is progressive or regressive. Please stay tuned. And these are the uh, legal hotspots for the week. As always, we start with these uh, top stories of the week. Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week, week. is Legal Hotspots. Welcome back to Law Focus. Uh, for the Legal Hotspots of the week, we have a couple of stories. And one of the major stories is that in Australia, it has been found out by the World Health Organization that they've export, exported listeria-tainted uh, watermelons to nine countries. And by the way, the Corruption Watch has released a report that people have actually com uh, uh, given, given complaints of up to 5,000 in 2017. We'll be looking into that story. The second story that we're looking at is the indictment that which has been released against President Jacob Zuma uh, for his charge on corruption and, and fraud. And I understand that is probably one of the most interesting stories for you and I. Um, the, the latest story would be the story on ICASA. So the Independent Commission, Communications Authority of South Africa has announced that it will be looking into anti-competitive conduct uh, in the pay TV market, that is your DSTVs and, and so forth. Uh, but far more interesting is that uh, the previous chairperson of ICASA, uh, having been in, in office for like probably a year or so, has been uh, convicted and is, is, is being sentenced for money laundering and fraud and corruption. Now, th those are going to be the interesting stories of the week. But what seems to interest me and pr probably interest you more is that 
having seen how listeriosis has outbreak has, has, has broken out in South Africa um, in the past uh, two weeks or so, and we've seen how many people have died. It has claimed over 900 lives, and 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 so there's been there's been a law a, a lawsuit that which has been launched against Tiger Brands, and and they are probably trying to deny liability there. But we'll see how those settlement claims go, if it will go as far as litigation, or whether they will settle out of court and they will admit liability and probably issue an apology of some sort to the public. But I mean, looking at that in Australia, they've exported. Uh, watermelons to nine countries, right? And these watermelons were contaminated with with this deadly listeriosis bacteria, and and this outbreak has killed over seven people already and has caused a miscarriage. That is a spontaneous abortion. Um, I mean, this is horrific. It's it's scary for for anyone um, to understand that they've exported this to nine countries. How many other countries have they exported it to? Um, we only know about these nine countries thus far because it has been spotted, and and now we know that Tiger Brands had had this had this uh, particular deadly disease, and they didn't even know where it came from, or they or so they claim. But anyway, so Corruption Watch has reported that people have complained over five thousand corruption reports in 2017, and so they've released this report and they titled it that the time is now. And so they try to paint a picture of a more emboldened and vocal public. And they say that, uh, in actual fact, there's a 25% increase in the number of reports or complaints of corruption. And that the range of interventions undertaken by the Corruption Watch team have been miraculous. Now, what is to be noted from this situation is that they're, they're trying to create a public, um, a public trust of some sort out of us in, in, into how they're looking into corruption. I mean, the specialized commercial courts have been actually busy. I mean, to, to know that they've been busy, your president, Jacob Zuma, um, there's been an indi- indictment that has been released against him by the National Prosecuting Authority since we're speaking about corruption. He's also being charged with money laundering. He's being charged with account of racketeering. He's being charged with corruption, that money laundering, 12 counts of fraud. And along with sales, also, he's also being charged with one count of racketeering, corruption, and money laundering as well. And this matter has been postponed for hearing at the Devon High Court to June 8, 2018. Now, this indictment says this that uh, they show an instance where Ngobi obtained the assistance of Jacob Zuma for the group survival. Um, that is, um, that is so that Jacob Zuma can provide them, can provide them with poli- political uh, protection in the ANC. And so he has relieved monies over five hundred thousand, monies over a million rand, and many others that which. Um, one needs to note, but this indictment by by the National Prosecuting Authority also states that there is an illegal common purpose relationship between Zuma and his convicted financial and adv- advisor Shabir Sheikh. Now, and and also the French-owned arms dealer Thales South Africa to pay and accept bribes for political protection, as I was saying to you. And this document is over 89 pages. So let's see how that gets to be um, gets to be gets to be prosecuted in court and and which counts get to be proven before the court beyond a reasonable doubt as you know it's a criminal case so it has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt uh that is the evidence that which has to be produced by the national prosecuting authority now for the final story ikasa states that it also it also wants to address anti-competitive conduct in their pay tv market um they will be proceeding with oral hearings um which will commence uh, in, in a couple of weeks from now and so this has been a long-awaited probe into this anti-competitive conduct uh, by many South Africans, uh, including me and you, your low-focus listener. And they say that they want to look into how multi- multi-choice has, 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 has gotten exclusive rights into sports. They got exclusive rights, in, rights into certain shows that which the SABC cannot broadcast. They've gotten into um, price fixing and and and. And, and cartels with the SABC to try and, and kill other businesses. But, I mean, thus far, there are still allegations. And, and we'll see how these oral proceedings go. But so far, they have over 18 submissions. And um, Multi-Choice has actually released a, a 60-page submission. So it, it's about to be very interesting because it commences on the 7th of May. Um, it, it has to be remembered that Multi-Choice was also impugned and accused by the Democratic Alliance to have been involved in a 100 million rand plan to influence digital migration with the ASABC. Now, that's corruption, that's fraud, that's, 
that's illeg- illegality in, in its entirety. But while that is happening, the previous chairperson of ICASA is being sentenced for conviction on fraud and corruption. And so it becomes clear that life goes on, Mr. Mithalocha, uh, and, and he's, he will be sentenced to over 15 years in prison and also uh, certain monies that he has to pay back. And uh, th- those are the legal hotspots for this week. Top stories of the week. Legal hotspots. Welcome back, and we're still discussing maintenance act changes, uh, and 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 we will later on be speaking to Ms. Joy van der Heide, and she wrote a very interesting paper where she speaks about how justice delayed is justice denied. Um, we are going to speak about that paper when we return from the ad break. Law focus, handing you your rights. Welcome back to Law Focus, and you're still sitting with Belzo Sharinda, and I'm your voice of law for the evening. Welcome. Um, I mean, so we're still discussing uh, main, the Maintenance Act and the changes that which it has brought in, the, in its amendment in 2015. And on the line, we have Miss Joy van der Heide, uh, who is a practicing attorney in this area. Oh, we have, uh, we'll, we'll be speaking to you, Ms. Joy van Reider, later. But right now, we're speaking to Ms. Pe- Ms. Peter Josephine from the Department of Justice. Uh, Ms. Josephine, hello. Hi, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and a very good evening to the listeners as well. You, you know, it's a very good evening. Uh, and But far more interesting, it's it's the changes that which the, the Maintenance Amendment Act brought to the maintenance area. Um, can you please take us through what is the effect of these changes or what are these changes to start to begin with? Okay, to begin with, the first one is that um, the maintenance act has actually opened up in terms of the um, jurisdiction. What it now provides is that um, one, um, like a person who wants to apply for, for maintenance does no longer have to necessarily apply at the place where they are currently residing. Yeah. However, they can apply the place where they are actually employed. Number two, it also speaks about the court's powers. There's now, you know, like I've strengthened the court's powers in terms of the court now being able to issue directives or to issue court orders to these electronic service providers to actually provide the details or, or, or the contact details of the maintenance defaulters. Like, for example, if you've been traced and then uh, we're unable to actually get, you know, like hold of you, then um, the, the, the maintenance court can actually issue a directive to say to the service providers, please provide us with the details in terms of which this person has actually registered their, their, their cell phone in terms of the Vita Act. And certainly now it speaks to the issue of the prison term uh, to say if you are found guilty of having you know, like um, uh, um, you know, like uh, violated the court order, which is, which is the maintenance um, order, you are now going to be eligible to go to court for a period of three years and no longer one year as opposed to um, the, the then um, provisions of the maintenance act. And the last one deals with the issue of blacklisting, you know, the, yeah, the interesting one. The maintenance default, yes, yes. That one to say that, you know, um, once, but then remember that one has to do with, you know, a successful application for the enforcement of a maintenance order to say, you know, like um, a maintenance order has to first be issued against the defaulter and then the person then has to then now default in terms of, you know, like complying with that order. After they have defaulted, then you have to then go back to the court and then, you know, like uh, um, up, up apply for an enforcement um you know like uh, order and once then it is it is now you know like approved then we'll then be able to say yes you are now a defaulter and you're even also going to be listed also on the systems at the department of justice and secondly your name is going to be referred to you know like um the 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 credit listers will no longer be able to you know, get credit you know, and some can even be you know, affected in terms of the area of their work like for example with their tennis you know that you 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 you, you may be struck of the law in the case that you have found that you are blacklisted and you know like with the banks officials as well you may not even find a job in the painting industry so those are actually the four main you know priority areas in terms of the amendment so now I understand that. Um, so should that person default on their maintenance order? Let's get to the meaty of it. Um, it. It is lawful to hand over their personal information to the credit bureau. I understand that aspect, and I also understand that. So that may mean that to prevent any further credit uh, uh, pro- pro- to be granted to this person, it means that there needs to be an order that 
that their information has to be handed over to the court. I understand that aspect. Correct. Am I correct? correct. Now, who yes, pays for these correct. services? You know, um, the, the, the services you know are being paid by the state for now, and as as prescribed in terms of the in terms of the in terms of the regulations to the to the maintenance act. However, they are going to be recovered from the defaulter themselves at a, at a later stage. Well, now, remember, we don't want to burden the maintenance complainants because you know they are already being burdened um, by the fact that they are not receiving you know like um, one's contribution to the maintenance of the child. You know, Ms. Jeffers Josephine, now that you're mentioning that at a later stage it will be it, it will be claimed from the defaulters, one of the worries of, of maintenance lawyers is that uh, should the defaulter be burdened with this maintenance cost uh, and also the credit bureau and also the blacklisting, that may mean that they will be in a worse off financial position. Now, how will that affect the child that is supposed to be receiving this money from this person in the first place? You know what? Um this 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 particular aspect, you know, comes into play especially as a you know, like a deterrent measure. And also, you know, sort of to actually, you know, punish those that actually stay away from their maintenance obligation. Because remember in South Africa as it is, we are having this um particular social issue wherein we have sort of commercialized maintenance. People think that you know you, you must just throw money at the child and that's it. They forget about the you know, like the bigger picture relating to the parental responsibilities and rights. To say over and above seeing seeing you know over and above contributing to the maintenance, you must you must also cultivate a relationship with the child. So this is just actually to say to to you guys that you know what, um it is this is a red alert, this is Ember, you are about to get into trouble. And in order for you not to get into trouble, comply so that you don't find yourself in that particular uh, you know, like uh, scenario. However, remember um South Africa is a democratic society, it's a democratic state. And you know, it's subject to, to, to their rights because remember it will it will not be granted willingly. It's still subject to section thirty five of the constitution where you are still eligible to uh, to appear before the court and oppose that particular you know like process as well. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's going to be done behind your back. It, it it is an open process. I'm still worried. I'm worried about now in a situation where you still have a you still have a, f- a, a parent and, and I understand that that mostly they are fathers, but 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 for for gender purposes, let me rather say you still have a parent who still defaults nonetheless, and when they yes. default on this payment, they still find themselves in a worse position. Now, how do we yes. tackle that kind of issue? Because now the child is missing out. You know what? Um, I love the South African law. South African law is very broad, you know, and and you know, it's, you know, we have very good mechanisms. Remember, you can you know apply for you know for a particular order to be set aside to be rescinded, you know, um. After, after, after that is being done to you, and again, and I'm still you know, like going back to the issue of saying that this is not that it is going to be do, done behind one's back. And uh, you still have this particular, you know, right to actually appear before the court and oppose that particular issue. Because remember, when the, before those particular orders are issued, they are actually subject to both parties still appearing before the maintenance officer, wherein we will try to mediate between them. Because remember, we do not want to actually burden this particular child because for example um what i've picked up is that as a, as a maintenance complaint officer that i've picked up that uh, most parents actually want to go the, the route of actually enforcing the maintenance orders from the criminal aspect of things mm. you know saying that you know i want to punish this person i want them to be jailed and all that but not knowing that yes the person can go to jail and they may lose their job and this child will find themselves in a Worse in a worse position, case, you know, like scenario. However, and, 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 and parents don't know that because remember, at the at the time they are actually you know concentrating mostly on their hurt, their anger, and the betrayal and everything. But they are forgetting the bigger picture, which is the child. However, all these processes are subject to you know like the other the other laws, which is you know like laws relating to the court processes, wherein one can rescind, one can get that court order valid, one can get that particular court order set aside. And you know, like, and that can actually reverse the particular situation that actually happened to them. And remember, also, the National Credit Act also is brought in terms of providing the requirements before one can be blacklisted. Mm. You know, you, you, before you can actually do that, uh, you need to comply with that twenty days notice to say that before you blacklist, you must give the very same default notice to say, "Hey, we are about to you know, like hand over your details to the to the." To the to the listers, and what do you have to say for yourself? And you can have that particular chance of twenty working days to then rectify that particular situation. So it is a very fair process, for, you know, like um, in my in, in my own personal view. 
Uh, true indeed. Um, so in instances where some fathers probably lie about how much they earn, what measures are in place to actually verify this process and make it, and make it stricter? You know, um, over and above, you know, like the system that we use within the department of 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 of, of tracing the asset and tracing the whereabouts of of the individuals, we also have you know, like the maintenance investigators who actually go into that particular you know, like process of 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 checking that. And uh, but, but remember, that is also subject to the Poppy Act as well because you cannot just really go into people's assets and all that. But remember, each and every case needs to be looked at in accordance with its, with its particular merits. So, so can can the property of of the defaulting father be attached in the in 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 the in, in the yes, event of insolvency? Yes, yes. You know, like um, the, there was a recent constitutional case where you know, like um, a father's uh, house was actually sold because they were in areas of about three hundred thousand rands, and you know, like in as much as it was said, um, um, the the court had to go into the merits of the case. They they resumed in, and they found that um. The father was actually deliberately, you know, like uh, withdrawing maintenance because he wanted to punish the mother of the child, and the, 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 the court basically frowned upon that particular conduct because at the end of the day, the court just said, you know, it is this child's right, you know, to 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 maintenance, and it is both parents' joint uh, and you know obligation to 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 maintain this child. And now you cannot just walk away and start, you know, like engaging into your own parental conflict and forgetting the child. Um, and, and because of that, that particular property was declared specially executable and it's going to be sold and, and whatever proceeds are going to be um, obtained, they are going to be you know, like paid towards the area maintenance. That is said, but you know, that is just to say, parents, um, let's, 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 let's go back to the dream board and parent the child. And remember the things that actually causes parents to actually go to the courts and which I, you know, I, I, I actually tend to say, um, you know, that, um, it's better for, for, you know, for, for parents to sit down and have a conversation about the child than to go to the court. It's simply because parents refuse to parent. They, 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 they fail to understand that parenting is not, you know, in as much as money makes the world go round, but parenting has more to do, to, to do with the mm, parents, mm. You know, like supporting and promoting your social, economical, you know, like uh, intellectual, psychological and emotional well-being of the child from infancy to adulthood, you know, and money can, money is going to enhance that, but let's be there as parents, because, you know, if the other parents can see that you are actually trying, you know, you are, you, you are picking the child, you know, at school, you know, you, you are assisting the child with homework, you are there in the child's life, what would be you know what what need will then necessitate them to then go to court and and and, and start with this you know like um, a, a adversarial and and the teachers processes yeah well eloquently put um so when when were the were the proclamation proclamations released for this bill to come into uh, for this act to come into uh, um uh, implementation you know, uh, the president signed that off, the, 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 the actual president signed that off in 2015. However, um, the, 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 the specific uh, you know, amendment which I was now alluding to came into operation on the 5th of January 2018. Oh, okay. Uh, no, uh, we hope that it, it goes well. Uh, Ms. Uh, Peter Josephine, I would like to go further and, and have this discussion, but unfortunately I have to, I have to thank you for your, for your contribution this evening. It's, it's a pleasure. Anytime um, you, you may you may contact me whenever you need to actually have get clarity as well on other issues. Because I believe that, um, you know, as a Africa, we need to actually uh, move forward to actually turning information into knowledge. Ah, thank you very much. I think that uh, we, we are well educated for this evening, me and my, my low focus listeners. Uh, that was Ms. Peter Chisefina from the Department of Justice educating us on the amendment uh, of the Maintenance Act that which has come into, uh, in, uh, into regulation and this January 2018, you're still listening to Law Focus. Let's go to the ad break. Law Focus, Law Focus on 88.1 Point of Information. Welcome back to Law Focus, your point of legal information. This is the show where we bring you legal arguments straight to your ear, more like the legal bench. Nonetheless, we have a lawyer on the line to come and tell us about uh, the Maintenance Amendment Act. On the line, we have Ms. Joy van der Heide, who is an attorney practicing at Shoot Inc. Um, welcome to the show, Ms. van der Heide. Thank you. You can call me Joy, Basil. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's so much easier. Okay, how are you, Joy? I'm good. No complaints on yourself. 
Um, I w- look, we are we are looking into this matter, and I think if I have a complaint, my complaint lies um, in the paper that you wrote, um, and my complaint is a very good complaint, and that requires mm-hmm. more knowledge from you. I mean, you're saying that justice delayed is justice denied. Um, that is correct. Can you please explain to us why are you in your discussion um, referring to this maintenance amendment act as something that could be a burden? Look, the new amendments to the Maintenance Act is a wonderful thing. So I'm not sure how much you've explained to your viewers, but there are three main amendments that's been brought in. Okay, The one is that the person, um, cell phone provider can now track them on their cell phone and obviously also um, have been blacklisted. The maintenance officer can have been blacklisted. And, um, you know... These two big technological uh, and, and advancements um, of these amendments is a wonderful thing because it will help bring maintenance defaulters to the table to actually say that they have to take responsibility for paying their maintenance towards the children. But the disadvantage, the only disadvantage, and this is where the justice delay, justice denied comes in, mm. is that the Department of Justice do not have the resources or the personnel to implement staff is already overworked. You can ask anyone that goes to a maintenance court mm. for assistance in obtaining maintenance for their children. They have to go through a process that continues for years. And while the department says that, you know, first applications they are able to finalize within 90 days, which is great. Absolutely great. But now you finalize it, you get a court order. That's what they mean. Um, you get a court order for maintenance. But now enforcing the court order is where the problem lies. Yeah. Because they do not have enough personnel or enough finances to see it through. Interesting, because the main the the, the Department of Justice actually has an alternative argument for that. They actually argue that yeah. with these amendments, they've actually sped, sped up the process, meaning that people don't have to go through those long processes. Um, right now, um, what can be offered is, a, is, a, is, for example, they don't need uh, uh, court orders uh, for certain, certain maintenance orders that which can be prompt. But what I also pick up from your argument, especially when you start saying that uh, justice supply is not meeting justice demand, you're saying that, besides the fact that they have a thin, thinly stretched budget, um, mm-hmm. you're also arguing that um, approaching the court for financial assistance and paying for these cost implications may not be feasible. And so we asked this question to, to, to... Now, now I, mean, I mean, give me a chance for this, because it's a very interesting part. So I asked them a question about this, and I, asked, I said that, so h- how are they going to recover costs about costs that which will be paid to the service providers um, in the electronic space, and they said that they will be paid by the court, but later on they'll be they'll be they'll be uh, um, uh, recovered from the defaulters themselves. That is highly unlikely. Let me tell you why. Because yeah. people that are defaulting on maintenance tend to one cannot afford maintenance in the first place. Mm. So they're not going to be able to pay back the cost of the service provider in tracing the whereabouts and providing an address to the department. Um, simply because that's a hundred then out of the child's mouth. Mm, mm, so it, it doesn't make sense to recover it from them. The other thing is, you know, um, it would have been easier if there was an amendment, a further amendment brought, which said that the service provider has the right to deduct the fee on that person's cell phone account over a period of time, say over the time of the contract or over the time of that month if they are on a, a airtime, um, you know, when you're purchasing airtime scheme. So that would make more sense to me because at least the person's not feeling it immediately. It's being deducted over a period of time. So it makes the impact of that amount, that lump sum just being deducted or, or recovered from them so much easier. The challenge that I have about the department is saying at the moment is that obviously they're saying that, oh, they finalized it in 90 days and it's so quick and it's so easy. But ask any person that's been at a maintenance court. They are usually understaffed. The staff have so much um, stress on their shoulders and they're doing more than one person's job to the point where they are actually despondent and they're not pleasant when working with the, with the public. 
And I can't fault them because anyone that's overworked and underpaid will eventually become disgruntled, unfortunately. Um, the department currently is not able to resource the maintenance section and the family court section of the department simply because of um, the, the total ban on further employment of staff by government which was announced by the then financial minister, Nene, Mm. um, back in 2014. You will recall that, you know, there was a blanket sort of ban that no government department must employ for the people. Mm. So what's Mm. been happening is you have a brain drain. So people are leaving the department and they can't fill the gaps. So unless there is a national policy put in place to say that the family courts can now employ people, um, and hire enough staff to sort and uh, to, to actually meet the demand. You know, you're sitting in a catch-22 situation here, where you have these people go. Oh, it's nice to have, but it can't be implemented. I mean, yeah, I understand that you are placing most of the argument on on, on the weight of resources. That there there are no resources. The the, the government is understaffed, and. And and so because there are no resources, it, it, the the process takes longer. I think that's that's where you are sitting right now with your argument. That's where I'm sitting, but also what I'm saying is that at least it's open for abuse as well. If you're reading the article, um, why does it leave itself open up for abuse? Because if something gets blacklisted, if I, for example, I go to a court and I say I have a child with this man and he's not paying maintenance, um, and I report him. Okay, mm. um, and I get a court order, and for some or other reason, say he pays me cash instead of paying in my bank account, and we have a fight about something, and I decide at his fight, I'm going to go report him for defaulting. Mm. The way the legislation currently reads, he can be blacklisted. There isn't a further inquiry process that's being followed before the blacklisting. You and I both know that blacklisting someone in today's um, time and age, especially with seeker rules in play. Um, it's got huge constraints on their finances and their credit yeah. worthiness and, credit, uh, you know, and, and how do they then access um, funds for purchasing a car or buying a house or um, getting basic credits, which they might need for getting, buying school books for the children or clothes for the school. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, it, it really, the, the department, while it's a nice to have, they really need to thought it through properly and make sure that the amendments that were in place weren't open to abuse. Currently as it stands, in my opinion, it's open to abuse. So this particular deterrence that, that deterrent that which has been introduced can actually turn into a weapon. That's where, that's your point. Exactly. Uh, so Not and, unless and, the department then further amendments to actually put steps in place to regulate how they're going to be doing the blacklisting, firstly. And secondly, they need more staff and they need more money in order to implement. So would it make a difference if they were going to blacklist once they've made a finding? It would be a different case because then at least there can be an inquiry process to see yeah. whether there is some sort of justification in the complaint. Instead of just taking the woman's word for it that, oh, he's in arrears and therefore he must be blacklisted. Yeah, because you know what we picked up from the Department of Justice is that they take quite a quite a judicial arbitral uh, approach to the situation. So they keep on saying that if if maybe a father is aggrieved by by the blacklisting and it puts them in in a worse position, they can actually go and appeal the process. And so what what seemed to to be an issue from from the position mm-hmm. of law focus was that. But now, what about a father who doesn't... The difficulty with what you're saying is the following. You, you can't appeal the process, you can review it. And that is at the high court. And who's got money to go to the high court to review a process? Yeah. This is not someone that's in maintenance court. How do you then enforce your rights? Mm. So, legislation has to protect people in general. It's not. I'm not advocating for defaulting at all, but what I'm saying is you have to protect people because you have to be presumed innocent and proven guilty. guilty. So how can you implement a sentence like blacklisting without going through a process to see if you should actually be blacklisted? So so you are arguing that actually this legislation could be struck down at, uh, as, as procedurally, procedurally unfair? Well, you know, that's, 
that's the, the issue right now. And um, we had this debate on, on, on Kai FM, I think it was, with the Deputy Minister, and I pointed this out. And the Deputy Minister was, at that stage, um, quite adamant that it won't be open to abuse and that they will make sure of that, et cetera, et cetera. And while it's great to have, I think that it needs to be clarified in, the, in, view, in terms of an amendment, a further amendment to the Act. Mm. Or maybe in the regulations. Or maybe in the regulations, which will also be an amendment. So, you know, but there has to be some amendment done in order to put processes in place. Currently, as it stands now, it's a grey area. Because mm. you also quote the Children's Act, and the, well, in in, a, in conformity with the Constitution, that the the child's rights are actually of paramount importance whenever these kind of cases. That is yeah, and and I understand, and I understand that in most of your argument, you actually place m- m- most of the weight on that issue. Yes, because a child is entitled to both parents. Mm. Now, how can both parents provide for that child if you're limiting the ability of the one in obtaining credit? So, you know, it's it's a very fine argument to make. It's um, very much a grey area. Not until the department actually puts regulations in place, you know, by a further amendment. But let's stretch it further. Let's go. Let's go back to the to the geopolitics of this country. What about situ- a situation where you have a father who is actually uh, absconding their their responsibility? Would that situation also apply to that? Your argument that um, you are placing a burden on someone who wants to be. Uh, a, part, a part of a life. This person chooses not to be a part of this life, of this life, and that's why this mother is actually bringing him to the maintenance court. Now, would that maybe skills, uh, sk- but again, uh, change the scales a bit for you? It won't change the scales a bit for me, simply because I mean I know a lot of fathers that actually want access to their children, um, and a lot of fathers that want to be there for their children, but they're being blocked by the mother. Mm. for various reasons because of anger and hurt that they felt within the relationship. Mm. Um, but even as it may, it doesn't sway. For me, the main thing is, and the main um, objective is the best interest of the child. And it cannot be in the best interest of the child to limit the one parent's ability to obtain credit in order to support that child if needs be. And, uh, you know, and, and if a parent doesn't want to have contact with that child, you can't compel the parent to have contact with the child. But at the end of the day, that child is going to come knocking on your door when you're an adult and you're going to have some explaining to do. You know, uh, I would love to take this conversation further because I'm enjoying it. Uh, that is, Ms. Okay. Uh, since you said I must call you Joy, <laughs> who is an attorney yes. practicing at the Shud Inc., specializing in family law and children's rights. And her argument is that the government must uplift the blank, uh, blanket government job freeze and provide sufficient budget to, uh, to the Justice Department and also deal with the issue of how um, this blacklisting can actually be abused. I think I've summarized your argument very well. Yes, that is correct. Thank you, Basil. Thank you for your contribution this evening. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Welcome back to Law Focus, uh, your point of legal information. Essentially, uh, maintenance um, cases are about um, providing the child with protection. You understand? Providing the child with a socio-economic right. So using civil law to provide the child with a socio-economic right. Uh, on the line, we have Ms. Polen Manaka, who is an associate right now with the Cliff Deckerhoff Mayor uh, in the Dispute Resolution Practice um, Department. Uh, uh, before that, she was with the Nolls Hossein Lensei uh, Incorporated Attorneys, and that is when she wrote a very interesting paper where she spoke about this particular act that we're talking about today. Before it became an act, it was a bill at the time. And she spoke about the burden that it places on employers. But without going further into it, let me uh, welcome you, Ms. Manaka. Welcome to the show. Good evening. How are you? Um, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still okay. Uh, we are very <laughs> discussing quite a... Uh, a heated debate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, I haven't been listening. I just got back home yeah. from the office, so I've missed out on the heated debate. Yeah. But you can just fill me in a little bit, yeah? Yeah. So we are talking about the maintenance um, um, bill, I mean, the act. Currently, it's an act yes. now. Yes. Uh, which it's was passed in January 2018. Yes. Yeah, so it was passed in 20, uh, right now in January. And it, yes. it, it yeah, it, it places quite a quite an interesting array of, 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 
of issues and one of them is that it aims to blacklist defaulters of maintenance um so one of the things that you highlighted which were very interesting for me is the kind of burden that it it places on employers of these defaulters and maybe other third parties um please share that with us what what was the view there yes so at the time where i wrote the article i think the you know you had the bill that was just sort of out and usually the way bills are drafted it's very rough and you're looking at all these clauses and you're trying to figure out which are the most important clauses which will have you know the biggest impact moving forward and i think what we can and i'm sure you guessed in the debate whatever you guys will be debating on you can agree that the main um aspects that have come out of the of the act and the impact are number one that no longer can a maintenance clerk um issue an emolument and that's and that's a huge feature i think of what i was trying to get from what i was trying to say in my article at the time yeah and the blacklisting issue which you know i i use the word controversial but it is controversial because on the one hand you're saying these people are unable and have difficulties in terms of providing maintenance but at the same time we're going to blacklist them and make sure that they can't get any credit Mm. Um, and uh, you know, so, and then the please issue, elaborate on it. Let, let me issue. press on you. Let me press on you, Pauline. Before you yes. get to your last issue, please elaborate on the aspect where you're talking about how controversial it is. And I see that you are you are pressing on it, but I want you to go deeper on it um, because I mean we are talking about fathers who cannot afford to take care of their children, or so they say, uh, because they keep yes. on defaulting on their maintenance. But right now they are being yeah. blacklisted, and now they cannot access credit. I mean, what are the implications there for the child? Well, I think this is, this is um, you have to look at it from a public policy. So look at it from a faraway angle. The faraway angle is that in general, people are probably have too much access to too much credit and fall into, into too much debt too quickly. So in the, in the long run and in the longest in practice in terms of data control and getting money from data, placing people on a blacklist has in a way acted as a deterrent for that person to fall into further debt. I think number one, that's, that's always the backdrop of why you'd um, blacklist people. It puts you in a place of discomfort. It makes you take steps to hopefully take control of your budget and your debts and deal with it accordingly. Now, Importing that into this maintenance issue and making it, you know, making it sure that fathers and or even mothers who are failing to pay maintenance are blacklisted. I think it's, yes, it's difficult because, yes, we're saying on the one hand, um, it's possible that you're not going to be able to get credit. But on the other hand, it forces them to work with the budget and maybe take the steps to get the help they need. By that, I mean getting debt counseling. You know, and taking steps to take control of the back of your budget and rather than further extending yourself into debt, um, which at the end of the day means, okay, I have, I, I got a 5,000 rand loan from PEP. I can maybe pay my kids, I don't know, their school fees for one year, but next year there's no money or there's no money for food or there's no money for, um, you know, for, for school clothes. So instead of taking steps by entering debt counseling where... In that space, you actually, they help you create income for you and they help free cash so that you can deal with your maintenance and your debts and your liabilities on a monthly basis instead of in just random, um, you know, spots at the time. So these, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword. On the one fact, it's, you know, it's limiting people's ability to access credit and maybe that might have ramifications in terms of ability to meet some of the maintenance requirements. Like I said, paying a school fees deposit or something like that. But on the other hand, it's also pushing people, it's, it's a deterrent. It's something that you don't want to happen to you. So start paying your maintenance, pay a portion of it, do something, take steps so that you don't find yourself backlisted, which then affects all other parts of your life. And so, on, on and to your last issue. On that. Okay, on to your last issue. Um, the other aspect, I think, and I think you guys have probably debated it as well, is it's supposed to be a positive aspect, and that is um, the New Maintenance Act says that um, the maintenance clerks, right, mm. can access directly, well, they're supposed to, I thought at the time it was direct, but it's not direct. They're able, they are, are able to track down defaulters. So what happens is 
um, you know the name of the, 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 the father of the child, and you sort of know where he said he was working, and you know the first five months he made payments or she made payments, but then they you know they stop, they go cold, and you can't get hold of them. But because of things like um, Rika and all these things, we all have to register. Um, the act now enables maintenance clerks to work together with the I think they call the communications um, the. Uh, Electronic communications department. Yeah, yeah. Let's use the word department to um, to try and actually track these guys down. Now, again, this is supposed to be a good thing because it means that the person that's seeking maintenance takes a closer step to finding the person and determine number one whether the person is employed, and if they're employed, then you can take steps um, as necessary to try and get a garnish on their salary or on their wages. But the difficulty is that um, the way that the New Maintenance Act is drafted is that it's not, it makes the cost of taking the steps um, to find those details, it puts the costs on the on the department, it puts the costs on the court. And, um, you know, so it's on the one hand, look, here's this thing, we will help you to track down these defaulters, but uh, it might cost us 500 or whatever, so there's no budget for it, you know? So yeah. I think... Because, yeah. uh, because, so aspects of the act, yeah? because as, as we were speaking to uh, Ms. Joy van der Heide, who's also an attorney in the space, she was speaking about how the maintenance court is actually quite understaffed and under-resourced. And because of that, she didn't yeah. see how this would be implemented. But now, when we're speaking to the yes. Department of Justice, they actually argued that they yes. would uh, claim this, the, this, these finances or rather recover these finances from the defaulters themselves. Yes, that is possible, but then that's placing an extra burden. So we really yeah. spoke about two burdens. We spoke about, number one, I'm blacklisted and I can't, you know, I can't access credit to, you know, enlarge my pool of funds to pay my maintenance. Um, in fact, I'm under debt counseling in order to, you know, free up money to maintain. And then on top of this, you're going to come after me with this defaulting thing. I think what should happen is that these departments should be working together. You know, so there is there's definitely a structural and logistical issue with the main, with maintenance in this country in terms of the understaffing of the departments. Um, example: I'm currently residing in Cape Town. I work in Cape Town, and I can tell you that the maintenance court in Cape Town has maybe two officers or one officer mm. on duties the whole week dealing with a number of cases, and so. Issues like that, structural issues that, and practical issues, you know. You know, the law is great because it's there on paper and it's substantive and we can read it. But practically, it's, you know, the departments aren't working together to find ways to actually cut down on costs or um, make sure that they can actually implement these things. Then it's not going to happen, you know. Mm. Um, it's still going to remain very difficult, although I think from my paper back then as as young as i was i think there was a positive feel about the changes and i think i still feel that way um i think i'm not sure if i'm happy about the emoluments and the fact that now maintenance kids can no longer, no longer issue them and it has to be done before magistrate court because now it creates a burden on a father or a mother who's looking to get an emolument order um, to now possibly have to pay for legal fees. You know, they have to go to legal aid or clinic and get an attorney involved in a process that I would have thought should actually remain attorney-free, you know, so that it's almost a process where it's a one-on-one -on -one with the public and you don't have attorneys, as in it doesn't have a burden of acquiring additional legal skills. But, you know, as it is, I understand that the Constitutional Court was trying to balance the rights of, you know, um, people who, you know, wages and salaries or just get deductions that they, they don't know about and don't see coming versus, um, you know, the rights of children. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you, Miss Pauline Manak. I, I would love to take it further, um, but it, you, you've made some... some Pretty, pretty interesting submissions there uh, speaking about how how blacklisting works and how the emoluments work and, and how you're also worried about Lux not being able to issue the these um, orders um, yeah uh, there was an interview with Ms. Pauline Manaka who's an associate with Cliff Decker of Mayor in the dispute resolution practice thank you for your contribution this evening thank you cheers
You're still listening to Law Focus. Law Focus on Balfan 88.1 Point of Information. It's still Basil Sharinda, your guardian of the law for the evening, and this was your point of legal information. Unfortunately, we have come to the end, although the the, the, the legal information will still live with you forever. Uh, that is if it's legal enough. You know, uh, this evening we spoke about a couple of things, and one of the far more important aspects that we've covered, or, or some, some of the intellectual property arguments, if I may say, is the argument that which is made by uh, Joy... And she says that this blacklisting element can actually be abused, which is something that uh, most were not aware of. What will the Department of Justice do about this? Uh, we, we, we also spoke to Ms. Peter Josephine from the Department of Justice, and, and she actually outlined, outlined what this amendment um, is going to do, what it's about. And one of the most important aspects that she also highlighted is, is how it's going to be speedy, going to be a speedy process and how it's going to be about it's going to bring uh, make the child be the center of of it all um people have expressed concerns you know miss pauline manaka actually expresses concern about how clerks can now no longer uh, no longer uh, no longer issue maintenance orders uh she speaks about emoluments and i think that there's still a long way to go but we have made it somewhere because at least we have found a deterrent. Uh, people can't lie anymore because right now there are third parties that which uh, can, can can communicate with. Um, I mean, that's all we have for this week on Law Focus. Uh, this is the show where we still try to, to touch on the law, uh, to bring you the best legal argument uh, that you can get. As you've, as you've witnessed this evening. Thank you for joining us. Please find us on social media at, vet, at VOWFM uh, with the hashtag LawFocus. Our podcast will be available at vets.journalism.co.za shortly. Uh, please join us again next week at 7 p.m. Uh, from my producer, Ms. Pulali Diakobu, uh, from our, our technical production, Kutwano uh, Gwinch Serame, and from me, Basil Sharenda, it's law and it's serious. Good evening. Law Focus, point, point of information, bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Law Focus Podcast.